The following podcast is brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team from Secondary Learners Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. As we commence this podcast today, let us acknowledge the traditional custodians of all the lands on which this podcast will be played around New South Wales. Their art, storytelling, music and dance, along with all First Nations people, hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and hopes of Aboriginal Australia. Let us acknowledge with honour and respect our Elders past, present and future, especially those Aboriginal people in our presence today who have and still do guide us with their wisdom. Creative Cast podcast series. My name is Ravenna Gregory and I'm a Creative Arts Curriculum Officer with the New South Wales Department of Education. This episode we're going to be talking about ways of navigating the often intense highs and lows of the HSC group devising process. My guests are two drama teachers from opposite ends of the state. Now in her 18th year of teaching, Simone Museth taught at Ashfield Boys and Lithgow High before moving to her current role as drama teacher and relieving head teacher Taz at Byron Bay High School. Simone is a passionate director of school theatre productions with particular strengths and interest in directing contemporary physical theatre with a minimalist design approach. She's also a singer, a musician, uh, who has fronted a variety of Sydney-based bands and has run concerts and shows in the alternative music scene for over 15 years. Bro Reveille is a drama and English teacher at Smiths Hill High School in Wollongong. He's currently completing a Master of Education at the University of Sydney, researching the potential use of Augusto Boal's Forum Theatre in teacher collaboration and professional development. Is excited to read up more about critical pedagogy and the role that it can play in refocusing education on valuing community. He also likes a crumbly blue cheese. Welcome, Simone and Bro. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So, Bro, can you start off by telling us about your favourite blue cheese, please? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, can you just share a little bit about your journey as a drama teacher and maybe a little bit about what is the place of drama at Smith's Hill High? I started my career at Smith's Hill uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. So my drama teacher, who kind of taught me a lot of what I know as a drama teacher, retired, uh, Sean Shosted, and I was lucky enough to in no way could I ever replace her, but I was lucky enough to kind of pick up the baton and keep running with it and keep being silly in the classroom. Uh, so I, I have been operating in a very well-established culture of drama at the school and my colleague, Brian Cutler, who runs fantastic school productions uh, and writes them himself. Yeah, it's, it's a very exciting place to work for someone that's as enthusiastic about our subject as we all are. Thanks. So Chan was your drama teacher? Yes. And you yeah. went on to become the drama teacher in that school. Amazing. That's the kind of story that, you know, drama teachers, that, that keeps us going. <laughs> through the group advising process. I heard already about Brian Cutler and the amazing work that he does um, in writing productions down in Wollongong. Got quite a name for himself there. Yeah, he's uh, he works fantastically in that area. 
across like all aspects of the production. So really showing the students how it comes, like what's that old adage from the page to the stage. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. And Sim, I know you've got a long career as a drama teacher and a little bit, I guess, about some of the highlights and maybe challenges about teaching up at Byron Bay High. There's a lot of highlights working in such a, a creative and vibrant community as, as Byron Bay. The community is a very supportive school community and, and beyond that, the entire community is very focused on the arts, music, theatre, visual arts, and obviously a lot of fantastic cultural production has come out of this community. So what I find working with the students here is that they are really actively creative. So they spend a lot of their spare time, their lunch times, working on artworks in, in the arts classrooms, in working in the music studios and, and developing their pieces there. They've, they're all in bands and then they love dance and drama. Uh, we don't have dance running at the school this year. It's something that they're really trying to build. But when there has been dance, and obviously as a drama teacher, I see this, our Performing Arts Centre is always full at lunchtimes, full of students working on, on their pieces. So I find that the students here are more driven in the arts than any school I've ever worked at in terms of their passion. And then, of course, that translates through to talent because we all know how much hard work and, and passion drives that developing talent and that developing confidence. I would say that whilst we have that strong community backing and that strong cultural leaning towards the arts in this community, there's a lot happening in this community and the students are very involved in a lot of different things. So I guess one of those challenges is juggling all of those commitments that students have and juggling all of those extracurricular opportunities that the school offers them. So I find teaching drama that can be a real challenge is just juggling the the sort of spasmodic attendance that can occur around lots of different commitments and of course being collaborative and particularly in terms of the GP which we're talking uh, to today just trying to keep those students moving forward when you know it might be a week or two weeks where they don't have a full group and it's usually just because these students are so active so just on that then, Sim, I think that's a really sort of nice segue into talking a little bit more about the group performance and, mm. and certainly one of the, the, the biggest challenges and one that teachers are probably right now grappling with or have just made their way through and are dealing with the aftermath of uh, the fallout is the formation of the groups for the group devised performance. And you talked a little bit about that, that idea of the competing kind of priorities and, and competing uh, you know, interests that students have. And I guess every school I have worked in, I've taken a different approach to, to forming groups dependent on the, the needs and the culture of that particular school and that group of students. So it would be really interesting to hear from both you and Bro about how you go about that group formation or how you've just been through that group formation. It's term two, week two, as we speak, Monday. And so, yeah, really interested to hear about that. I do have a pretty well-tested strategy here. However, the one year that my group got into on stage, I didn't use this strategy, which is uh, interesting. So generally, the strategy that I use is that I like the students to have some input. However, I don't let them create the groups themselves. So what I do is I hand out a small piece of paper to each of them, and I ask them to write down the names of four people, no less, 
but definitely more if they like. Four people that they would really ideally like to work with from the class. And they shouldn't be putting them in any priority order either, because then you are really setting yourself up for a difficult sleepless night. What you're doing is saying, who are the four students you'd really like to work with? Obviously, not all the groups are going to have five, but I, I like to have a big number to work with. From there, I try to make everybody happy with being placed with at least one person on their list. Sometimes it'll work out that that they're with two. Often you'll find the students have talked to each other and write each other down. That's not very helpful because there's always going to be students who miss out in that sort of structure. So giving them some input, then you obviously looking at that and tweaking it to find a bit of an equitable spread. And that's the important one. So making sure that there are really strong students working with students who might benefit from their mentoring and guidance. I don't like creating super groups. I think that's a real problem and it's not equitable. And another thing I will say is you've got to consider that sometimes, and this is what happened in 2019, sometimes the class will have decided already who is working with whom. And that did happen. When they presented to me with their formations, there were tweaks I had to make. Obviously, we're not going to have two identical twins in the same group looking at attendance issues and trying to spread them through. So you do have to let them have some sense of autonomy. And if they feel that they've done that as a group of 14, which they had, go for it. But other than that, the best strategy is for you to form the groups based on some suggestions from them. It's part of my sense of humour that loves the idea of putting identical twins in a group and and Ah. And differentiating them only through a different colour for the markers. But <laughs> don't do that at home, people. Don't do that at home. So thank you, Sim. Um, Bro, what do you do at, at Smith's Hill in terms of that formation of groups? I'm sitting here furiously nodding as Sim's talking. Uh, it's pretty much identical to what Sim said. I think some things I picked up on there that we absolutely encourage as well is the students need to write down names of people they would like to work with or can work with. The longer that list can be, the better. And something we're very conscious of is at the start of the year 11 course, we teach at an academically selective school. So the students are very cognizant of what's happening at the end of the HSC course, even at the start of year 11. So we say, if there's anyone in this class that you can't see yourself working with at that time, then you need to come and have a chat with us because it's it's within the spirit of the syllabus and the spirit of the community of the syllabus that you need to be able to put your personal apprehensions aside and start to build those interpersonal skills, Uh, which is, again, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit here, but it's something that's really valuable about the, the GP experience. Yeah, I love that way of framing it, bro, really important. And I also think that experimenting with different groups throughout year 11 is so important too. I often will say that by the end of that year 11 course, please have worked with everybody in this course or in this class so that you know what the challenges are. And sometimes there's some lovely unexpected sort of creative partnerships that come out of that, which is awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely encourage that in year 11 as well, that they try and work with everyone in the class in formal and informal group work. So they they kind of discover new relationships and new like collegial approaches that they have with each other in that group work. So they're not just sticking with people that they know within the class. So it really opens up some opportunities. And I don't know whether you found this sim as well, but sometimes when there has been a little bit of discussion before the GP process starts, third term of the HSE course, some students will write down the names of their friends, but 
that's not necessarily reciprocated. You'll get some lists that have kind of mixed it up based on previous groups that have worked well together. So the students, there's a huge range of things that impact their choices. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think the same as Sim, it's, it's a conversation, but it, ultimately we're putting the groups together, trying to weigh the best interests of the students with their preferences uh, for working together. On that, that, that best interests of the students working together, how do you structure the facilitation of the GP? Do you have a way of structuring it? I'm, a, I'm aware as I'm asking this that that shifts every year, but, but sort of thinking about how do you approach the open-ended sort of freedom of the group devised performance in order to create those restraints that create a constructive, creative environment? Yeah, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there with it is very class dependent, particularly in terms of the dynamics and size of the class. But typically the last few years I've been teaching the HSC course, we're coming off the back of the approaches to acting topic. And I'm lucky in my particular context, and it's a deliberate choice on my part in terms of the design of the course, they're dying to try out some of the activities from Boal, some of the movement exercises from Lecoq that they didn't get a chance to cover in that you know, eight weeks or so that we're doing the content in term two, bringing that back into the GP process to actually start looking at how to build shapes, image theatre, all those sort of rich, really useful starters for the GP process. So it's about generating as much of that material upfront as possible, not sitting around hard scripting anything, play building it, getting it up, testing the material as quickly as you can so that you can start to filter through it. You can start to say no to things. I try and as like a rule of thumb for my students because we work off like individualized milestone goals for each group just like in terms of conversation they kind of keep track of that in their logbooks but uh, in terms of milestoning with each group they're they're trying to come up with at least twice as much material as the the 8 to 12 minute mark and then uh, filtering through trimming back having a discussion about what sort of dramatic form or theatrical style they're thinking about because that gives them more criteria to kind of have a think about what their performance purpose is what their relationship to the audience is and how you might define or frame that so all those lovely moving parts that we juggle as drama teachers particularly within the gp task itself it's really about a milestoning process that, that suits the needs of each group, particularly in terms of size and direction, and then kind of coming off the back of that approaches to acting topic, which I think is, is fantastic, particularly in terms of the practitioners that have been selected for that list. So I know we're ending the, the cycle of the current prescriptions, but I'd give that a plug to anyone just to go and have a look at some of those activities, particularly Boal. I think Boal is fantastic, um, as my bio might suggest. So That that beautiful connection between um, Lecoq and Boal. And you see it as well when I've taught black comedy of that influence creeping into so many of the group performances. So it's something for teachers to think about, I think. Sim, do you have any particular ways for facilitating the HSC? Any steps or timelines that you can talk about? I do, being a Tory and I am very structured. <laughs> but obviously there's that beautiful combination of discipline and anarchy involved in in this. <laughs> I totally agree with you, bro. I, I think that teaching approaches to acting is just the most beautiful pathway to beginning the GP. I too find that I never cover everything I want to cover in that unit. And it's a great thing because all of those fantastic training activities that really loan themselves to group work and chorus work, you're able to use those in the development of of the group performance very effectively. So I have a process 
called the nucleus development that I, I use. And the first thing I do before we start the nucleus development is we create, or, or I guess really a reestablished group culture or class culture. I'm really big on class culture and, and having students really define what that is and, and how we relate to each other and giving really positive comments to each other, finding those positives, writing them down, a lot of self-affirmation and group affirmation. And from there, we get, I give them a toolkit and the toolkit is really important. It's just a hard copy booklet, but for me, it has everything they're going to need that term. And yes, there are milestones in a little calendar there, but there are lists, the ingredients you might need for a GP, a list of dramatic techniques that could be used, which is incredibly long, but not exhaustive. Uh, a list of comedy strategies goes in there. A list of approaches to rehearsal and feedback goes in there. And I even put a page in there for questions for log reflections as well. So once they have that, we start this nucleus process, which is they have mind mapped every single topic on that list with connotations and associations. And they will pick their favorite mind map and they'll pick some of their favorite connotations from that list. And they'll connect them or pair them with some of the ingredients in the toolkit or some of the dramatic techniques listed in the toolkit or dramatic techniques that aren't there, ones that they've come up with themselves. And from there, we start this sort of moving image creation. Now, once you have those three moving images, you might start with three, and then we link those together. We have this fairly random but beautiful moving image that is littered with techniques and ideas that then they get feedback on. And that feedback might be, mm, these characters seem to be emerging. These are the themes that seem to be emerging. Wow, that's really comedy, or that feels like it's a darker mood. And it's just that investigation, feedback, and play really it's play i mean obviously we do a lot of impro warm-ups before we do this and so once they have that little nucleus which could be anything from 10 seconds to a minute long we then start a second nucleus we let go of it we start a second one and we do it in the same way with a different topic from the uh, list with a different mind map and a different set of connotations and associations and build that one but when I do the second one, I often get them to have conversations and lists in their logbook beforehand of what are your interests? What are the things that you'd like to explore? What are your talents? Can you sing? Can you dance? Do you play football? Because I've even seen, you know, people use ball skills in, in performance beautifully. Can you do any of these things? Can you think of some interests you have? Can you think of some pop culture sayings and pop culture references to litter this one with, right? So they then create this nucleus, but they actually backward map in a way from what the group is interested in and find the topic list item with a mind map that really suits what they're looking to do. Does that make sense? So yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, and that is often the one they go with because it's richer. But I will say this, the group who did Story of a Hat in 2020 or the 2019 class, 
actually picked images from both nucleuses uh, or nuclei, I guess, to put together because one was a, you know, a pirate ship, moving pirate ship, and I think another was the Wild West. And obviously they found ways to, to put that in a sort of absurdist style and, and, and mix uh, genres. I love the fact that this is such a structured approach in some ways, but then obviously has that incredible freedom because it's driven by the students and their and their interest and their creativity, which I guess is the GP really in a in a nutshell, isn't it? The third time they do this, they may do it a third time, they're doing it on their own. So I guide yeah. them through those first two and then I go, You don't like them? Start again. Yeah. And, and that's fine. You talked about milestones earlier, Bro. Can you tell us a little bit about how you manage the school-based assessment for, of the GP? I'm really interested in the different ways that schools approach that. Sims talked a lot about kind of formative feedback cycles throughout, and that seems to be the approach to GP. But can you tell us about that kind of more formalised school-based assessment? Yeah, I think anyone that's moved through the course is going to be familiar with the sort of rapid verbal formative feedback cycles that we're engaged in uh, in the drama classroom all the time. We're testing material for its aesthetic value, its engagement, but also its underlying purpose, its relation to dramatic form. So there's lots and lots of different things that we're trying to focus on as we guide the students towards the pointy end of the term. In, in terms of the way that we uh, map it out logistically, I usually... Well, actually, with this this current cohort, I've sat down with Year 12, the start of the HSC course, and we discussed what they would prefer in terms of how the assessment was structured. So I gave them the option of whether the logbook was just purely verification of the process or you'd like it to be included in the internal assessment. And they liked the idea of, or this particular cohort liked the idea of it being included in the internal assessment because some of them were thinking about their confidence in terms of performance. We have a few people who haven't done drama before the senior course. So they liked the idea of being able to kind of shore up their internal assessment by putting effort into the formation, research ideas, reflection uh, that is included in the logbook. And that, that happened for the IP as well. So at this stage, we're assessing it as a GP logbook submission that'll happen uh, in the last week of this term as a way of thinking about early term three, when we're going to have like a trial performance night for their IP submissions, but they'll also have an opportunity to perform the group performance informally and just get some feedback that isn't assessed as part of the internal exam schedule, but gives them multiple iterations, like formal iterations of performance in order to kind of act on broad audience feedback. I love that you've negotiated that with each year group to find out what they what they're going to be invested in. And that's lovely idea of them taking ownership of that. When they perform it, they're receiving formative feedback rather than an assessable mark. Is that correct? So they'll, they'll receive a mark and feedback as part of the formal assessment schedule at the end of this term when they submit the logbook as well. Yep. And then we'll have a performance night before our whole school trials in about week three of next term where they'll be submitting and performing IPs and they'll also perform their GPs, but that won't be formally assessed. That's just another opportunity to present their performance, test it with a different audience, show a little bit more refinement in terms of previous feedback. So what it does, which I think is really valuable, is on top of the, the formative feedback we give them verbally and in, the, in written forms across the term, because I think it's important to give them feedback in multiple forms so that they have that to refer to when they're reflecting in their logbooks. And even, I'm sure Sim probably does this as well, give them a scaffold to kind of minute 
verbal conversations. So I think that's really important as well. You're giving important, valuable feedback and they're buzzing and they're excited that they've just performed something and that it's either worked really well or they're a bit dejected because it hasn't quite worked the way they've wanted it to. And then you tell them something and then five minutes later, they're like, oh, what did Sir say again? And it, so like if they've minuted it at least then they can kind of stick it into their book, they can reflect on it, they can act on it next lesson. So on top of all of those formative forms, having having the feedback for the internal assessment of the GP at the end of this term, knowing that they're going to get to perform it again for their friends and family and for panel of markers from other schools because we get our trials, you know, it's fairly standard practice to have other drama markers if you can or other teachers come in to give a range of different feedback on performance nights. If they know that they're going to have that uh, week three, term three, next term, then suddenly the, instead of a summative comment for their GP, in terms of assessment, it becomes a formative comment. So it's an iterative process that I think is really valuable in the development of the GP. Yeah, it's wonderful. Such a swift sort of cultural change for students in seeing the value in that as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Sim, do you have a way of assessing the school-based or doing a school-based assessment of the GP that's different to that? It seems to be very different in lots of schools. Um, it's it's similar. I mean, I obviously assess it during the trial ATC period as, as a finished work, and I actually get them to hand their logbook in at that at that date. And, and the logbook is part of that holistic GP mark for me. But yeah, it's formative. I mean, I used to assess it at the end of term two, or towards the end of term two, as a work in progress. I don't do that anymore. I like to give them regular and in, with increasing regularity, I guess, these performance goals, right? Next lesson, you're all performing this much of your piece and, and giving them those milestones and giving them that peer feedback and teacher feedback regularly and with increasing frequency, that formative assessment is really what drives them. And I think relieving that pressure of, of a summative work in progress assessment for the GP works for my students and giving them also that live performance experience in between the trial and the HSC with, with audience is also really great for them. One of the approaches that I've taken recently is building the audience as well. So the first showing is sort of for the teacher the second showing is for their class. The third is for their cohort. Great. And the fourth is kind of for, for that school community. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the finished product is for that, that HSC. So it, I think that we've talked, you've both talked about ways of kind of scaffolding the challenges that exist, but um, we haven't really talked that much about uh, group dynamics yet, which for me, uh, can, I think has been one of the consistently most Uh, challenging parts of the group performance but also one of the most wonderful so for you what is the biggest challenge of the GP process and how do you deal with it can you can you whittle it down to one yeah I think so I think the biggest challenge where I work is that desire of the students to sit and chat and talk and discuss ideas yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that procrastination and that wanting to get it right. And I think it's changing. The culture of that is changing. And partially that's me being really cruel to them and telling them they can't sit. <laughs> so really it is right from the very beginning, encourage them to stand, to move as they're speaking and as they're discussing ideas. And this year it's been working really well. The students have the only time the students have sat down is when they've been looking at their mind maps and picking their, their phrases to work with. And all of the discussion happens whilst they're moving. 
And I think that that really is biggest roadblock is students, particularly creative students with brilliant minds as they often do have and wonderful ideas, just having those discussions. They're never going to know until they're up, you know, experimenting and improvising with ideas what they want to work with. yeah great a, a very common common one isn't it having them sitting around in circles rehashing an idea i think part of that also that challenge has overcome through your approach to group formation which is you know not putting all the all the people who are going to just sit and think and not get up and do in the same group together hopefully bro i heard your here here cheered during sim's biggest challenge but do you have another one that you'd like to share is exactly the same no, I think, I think Sim's absolutely right. It's you worry for groups that they are very excited and they want to kind of negotiate that political element to the group. So there's a lot of chatting that kind of involves because it's a very social scenario or setting on like, <laughs> or it can be mistaken for that uh, is maybe a better way of phrasing that. But I, I think I would put in a mention for, I do spend a little bit of time at the start of the term building off explicit expectations for group work and responsibilities of group members versus rights, or another way I kind of phrase it is negotiating preferences and needs. So just to kind of establish, I think Sam, uh, Sim mentioned it before, that idea of making sure that it's an ongoing culture in your classroom, that all students need to be included. There needs to be a place in the group performance for students. Life gets in the way sometimes, and we need to facilitate that. So sometimes someone's gonna be sick and their health has to take precedent to that. So you need to, like on the one hand, you need to keep the progress of the GP moving. You need to be making some progress in terms of the play building or decisions that you're making with that person's preferences uh, and role in the group in mind so that you can also include them when they come back and then help them uh, jump back into where they were before and have input into where the process is up to. For the current cohort, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about how to have those conversations with group members. So one of the things that I put together was just a few little kind of scenarios um, that have commonly popped up, um, like someone's got an excursion on a, a like week four drama class and they really want to go to that. Um, how do you have that conversation with your group? Is it okay for them to go on that excursion? You know, you know like scenarios without any clear-cut answers and then just getting the students to actually talk through and practice what they would say and suggest what they would say to kind of negotiate those interpersonal situations and give them a bit of practice before they actually arise in the GP process. And the, the learning that's coming out of that is just invaluable, isn't it? It's every team that they're ever going to have to work, work in in the future. It's you know, what we love about that group performance, no matter how challenging. Absolutely, yeah. About the challenge and the advantage at the same time there, bro. Um, <laughs> the role of the drama teacher as facilitator of the group performance as opposed to as as opposed to the director, as opposed to the creator, but the facilitator, the, the guide for, for students, I guess that's something that early on in my career was really that balance was really hard to negotiate and to know what that looks like. And I guess really like to finish up that discussion, bro, with asking you, what's your, what's your number one tip for finding that difference between facilitation and, and direction? I, I think you kind of alluded to it there. I think a good facilitator of a GP will leave room for the, the group to make mistakes, to 
pursue lots of different choices or avenues and discover for themselves that some of those avenues aren't the right way to go or make the choice in terms of what their actual purpose is rather than you making those choices for them. Because I think that's that's a very clear way to define the line. And that that's easier said than done, knowing how quickly that term can whiz by. So I guess if I had to phrase it another way, is to kind of build off what I was saying before, encouraging students to generate a lot more material early on than they need, because it gives them a chance to say no to things. And again, maybe a mistake's too harsh a word. They need to be able to generate things and love those things, but at the end of the day, still say within the group, look, this particular scene that we put together just really doesn't fit into what we're going towards. And I like Sim's idea of the nuclei, the idea that there's an organic organic development of particular ideas and images uh, that are coming together in that early material generation that gives groups a bit of a direction. I think being drama teachers, we all have our different metaphors for those. Um, I, I kind of use it uh, like a, we're climbing a pyramid idea and the pyramid gets a little bit smaller in terms of surface area, the higher up you go. So we're kind of narrowing down to our dramatic form or our theatrical style or purpose. But yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I would think is crucial to the GP development uh, is get students on their feet early, generating as much material as possible so that they have options. So they don't feel trapped with a particular idea or so you don't feel like you have to keep pushing them along and kind of crossing that line. Yeah, and asking them questions then when they're making those choices, helping them to make those choices is that facilitation, isn't it? Yeah. And Sim, what's your what's your big tip for facilitation versus direction? Yeah, I spent a lot of time nodding as well. <laughs> Bro, you're you're right on it. I, I totally agree with everything you said. And and what you just said, Ravenna, about asking questions was my first point. So in feedback sessions, it's really difficult sometimes, particularly when you've got something phenomenal happening in front of you, not to go, oh, I love that, keep that, you know. <laughs> but it's more about asking them questions and asking them to articulate why they feel something is working or why not. So not so much suggestions, but questions. I guess like anything, any anyone that you want to see achieve a goal and push themselves to achieve their best, it's like having a mentor teacher as well. You know, you ask them, how do you feel that lesson went? What do you think worked? Why do you think that worked? And it's the same with, with students. I think the best thing you can do is, is invite them to really drive everything through that analysis of what they're doing. And also to ask them, as Bro said, to, talking about the word purpose, to think about what they're doing on stage and, and does it serve their purpose or intention, bringing them back to that. How does it serve the intention or, or the idea or the mood or the meaning of this piece? And that's a really good way to get them to whittle off those things that are probably taking them away from coherency and, and solid structure. So I think those, those sorts of approaches, uh, yeah, really, really allow them to refine what they're doing more quickly, more quickly and more effectively than if you were to tell them what to do anyway, which obviously we don't do. But I also think that peer feedback is a really, really underestimated valuable component of, of how students sort of negotiate and sort and eliminate aspects of the group performance as well. 
Yeah, wonderful. I was going to, that word intention is so important to me. And I think if we teach them about artistic and creative and directorial intention in the year 11 course and before that, then that becomes much clearer for them and much easier to say goodbye to the things that you, you're desperately clinging to, but you know they don't, they're not serving your intention. Let's finish off today by, I, w- I was thinking about this podcast and I thought last year without the group performance obviously was a really challenging year for everybody I mean on more more counts than that but the impact of not being involved in that group performance in 2020 had further reaching effects than I even imagined and I really noticed that that lack of that collaborative creativity fed through to second guessing themselves in individual uh, performance and individual projects and a whole raft of things And it really solidified for me the importance of the group performance as part of this course. And I I guess I just, we've talked, I think, about many of the advantages, but I'm really interested in advocating for the group performance. What is it that makes this such a valuable part of the course for you, bro? It's kind of all the things we've touched on, but at the end of the day, it's, it's one of the few instances at the highest level of our curriculum where students get to practice and develop interpersonal skills in a problem-solving situation. Like it's an aesthetic problem, but it's also a problem of expression. And when I say problem, I mean I'm problematizing it kind of in the the Paolo Freire sense of we're coming together and thinking about something that is of import to us and we need to express that and become literate in it. So I think for me, definitely, often the creative arts are kind of lumped into this purely aesthetic, you know, everyone should be just aspiring to a performance only kind of mode of thinking that it's just, it's just like the window dressing of the the broader curriculum. But uh, I think that's a completely unfair assessment of the creative arts, because at the end of the day, it takes all that interdisciplinary knowledge, all that interdisciplinary thinking, And it offers students a chance to collaborate and express uh, their thinking and their ideas and in the development of the GP actually refine those thinking and ideas. And I, if you ask anyone what they would like to see, or you even ask the, the generation themselves what they would like to equip themselves with in terms of skills and what they think they're going to need in terms of uh, ability and thinking for the future, it's exactly those sorts of things. They need to be able to understand how to work together to solve problems collaboratively, diplomatically, but inclusively as well to make sure that everyone's voice is included and everyone's perspective is included. And Sim. How beautifully and articulately worded that was. I totally agree with every word. I guess just confirming that. And I think it really keeps students invested in what they're doing when somebody else's or other people's lives and goals and ambitions and successes and experiences are at stake too. So I feel that it drives students and even those who are perhaps less motivated in other subjects, I find often are more motivated in drama because of that, that real investment they have in, in the group and knowing that it's not just them that, that their lack of enthusiasm or lack of motivation or commitment will impact upon. I think connecting this to Boal, the idea that we can achieve so much more than we ever thought possible together and so much more than we could alone in, in any situation 
really in in the world and considering um some of the issues that face the world today it's a, it's a you know drama the drama classroom is really a microcosm of of the way the world should be operating which is that people are working together to serve each other's interests and thinking creatively and critically and it really developed every skill necessary for life the group performance not just for the workplace i mean obviously we know we're going to be living in a world where people do need to be able to communicate effectively, collaborate effectively, be critical, creative thinkers, those four C's of the 21st century education focus. But I think really it's also about developing empathy. And that's something that very few other subjects, I think, can boast that they do so beautifully is, is that sense of connection and empathy to others in the world. And that's something that cannot be underestimated. Simon and Bro, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you both today. And thanks for sharing your collective wisdom about the complexities and challenges and rewards of the group devised performance and how you negotiate that with your student. And it, it is an incredibly important and unique component of our course. And I know that teachers listening will gain enormously from your expertise and experience. So thank you both. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Creative Arts Curriculum Team of Secondary Learners Educational Standards Directorate of the New South Wales Department of Education. Get involved in the conversation by joining our statewide staff room through the link in the show notes or email our Creative Arts Curriculum Advisor, Catherine Horvat at creativearts7-12 at det.nsw.edu.au. The music for this podcast was composed by Alex Manton and audio production by Jason King.